All right, let's go. Three, two, one. Max depth, Andrew. Let's go, baby. Cool, man. Cool. Uh, yeah, my name is Andro. Uh, I'm a founder of two projects currently. First of all is GA.io. So that's my email. Uh, this is project mainly regarding glasses, focus around development of human awareness, increasing the degrees of freedom instead of, you know, making technology lock you up into this system, essentially making sure that technology makes you focus on yourself and increase the awareness of the world around you. And essentially making sure you make better decisions with essentially, you know, meditation and stuff like that. But this is the first product. Um, you can listen to them through them. You can speak uh, through them, you can listen to music. Um, computer glasses, so your eyes don't get tired, and sunglasses, all in one, essentially. So they're AirPod, Ray-Bans, but better. AirPods, Ray-Bans, yeah, pretty much, and also computer glasses, so you know, eyes don't get tired. Like, essentially, I sit in front of a computer all day, and my eyes don't get tired, so like, that's how it all started, essentially. Like, six years ago, I was, like, looking for good computer glasses, couldn't find one, like, um, and then, so I decided to, you know, play around with it. And, yeah, I can also merging things and when technology became more ready now i'm focusing more towards you know meditation aspects of the product essentially making sure you know the, the cognitive abilities of the customer increased making sure the that customers um who use our product essentially become freer because when you have more awareness you see more things and then you can do make better decisions and then life is better um but it's like the roadmap the roadmap essentially is reverse engineer singularity which is like you know a hot topic in things like metaverse, brain computer interface, AR, VR, all those things, you know, will be integrated in order to get to that level. And also, you know, brain emulators and stuff like that. Is this is um, the singularity general artificial intelligence? Yeah, pretty much. Actually, I think the most correct definition with regards to what singularity is, is actually AGI. It's mm -hmm. definitely the, the thing is like if people talk about uh, AGI from perspective of what it is. From, but if you think from perspective of like, it's a hard definition with regards to what AGI is because we as humans are about like 21 types of like, you know, inputs, including our blood temperature, blood pH levels and stuff like that, which we really don't really speak about, but they affect our internal state. Would AGI require those things? I don't think so. Like it wouldn't really require like, you know, the, the temperature of the blood as an input because it wouldn't really have blood. So a next generation, you know, for example, brain emulator would be a completely different mechanism with its own value system that's designed, you know, <laughs> that is designed to do things differently than what a human would be because it's not, a human would, wouldn't be an emulator because human, human would be like, you know, um, like assessing itself around its body but an emulator wouldn't have a body. So in AGI, it wouldn't be a singularity. A singularity step would be, you know, brain input because the whole, every cell in our body has a memory. It's not just our neural system. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting topic. Like AGI is a, fascinating. You got to think, yeah. would, would a complex enough uh, neural net eventually be able to produce some sort of because then, then you get a, is is AGI just the ability to create consciousness? Is that what we're talking about? And then you have to think about what like what is consciousness. So I've heard it defined as like what information feels like being processed. Like is is this experience of consciousness we have just a result of a super freaking complex 
physical phenomenon happening in our brain. And it kind of gives us this, all those chemicals interacting back and forth somehow give this, give this type of illusion of a self, all these things inter, uh, intermixing like that is that when you say like we've eventually in 400 years or whenever it is, maybe my estimate, I don't know if it's right or wrong of artificial general intelligence, if we do ever get there is, is would it have its own feeling of would it know that it exists? Does it, I think you were getting at before, how does it relate to itself? Because obviously a, an intelligent thing has to be able to relate to the world because it, yeah. an intelligent thing operates, makes decisions, um, like thinks kind of in a way thinks in like probabilities, thinks it's in, in its own best interest maybe. And you're saying the cells have memories. Like, I just, I just can't even imagine, like, are we going to be able to get artificial general intelligence just the way we've been doing things? Or does it need a massive new step, something that we don't even understand in order to get there? I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. The thing is like, <laughs> uh, I think the answer to, other, to that would be is we have to explore to find an answer. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that like, I think it's a bit quicker than 400 years. Like if you think about the Moore's law and, you know, like the Ray Kurzweil, for example, idea there from the book of Singularities. I don't know if you read that book. I have. Um, so it basically says about that the brain upload would be mainly around 40, I think it's 20 to 45, that when we reach the singularity from the perspective, you know, the computing power. But then you have to have to create those you know, technologies and interfaces where people input, those, input this data. And how would you do that from the perspective of customers when you have a lot of people, you know, engaging with that data? And essentially inputting it in a way that you create, you know, a single source of truth. So that's why you have to have also, you know, crypto and stuff like that engaging with that in a way that's in the way that crypto should be engaged, not in terms of like a speculative coin market that's currently mm -hmm. is. Like mm -hmm. because of, right now, <laughs> right now yeah, that's crypto, right, that's right. It's like you know NFTs. If you actually think, I love NFTs. Don't get me wrong, but because it's actually you know creating focus around the technology that um, creates a single source of truth with regards to transactions. Mm -hmm. But if you look and at you're talking about the blockchain, yeah, but since the blockchain, there's other things like uh, not just blockchains, like Hashgraph or DAG, which is the directed cyclic graph, a different type of DLT, distributed ledger technology, essentially. But um, that's topic for, uh, for another day. But the idea is like, if you look at the transaction that happens around NFTs, it'd be more fun if those transactions were microtransactions, this is such a like, large transaction. The people speak about few artists with large you know, cash flows and then mm -hmm. a lot of artists don't make a lot of money. So I think mm -hmm. there's an idea of like how this metaverse will create engaging with this art and royalty models and essentially smart contracts. Those things will be interesting where we actually can create uh, like a, a singular source of truth with regards to you know, human engagement and essentially human essential evolution when we say AGI engages with that. So essentially that comes to another project I'm, which I'm working on, it's called Green Planet AI. So there's kind of two projects. One, one is designed with human evolution, making sure that we increase, first of all, the awareness and then go towards the direction. Like G8.io is yeah. smart glasses and yeah. greenplanet.ai is is essentially the second project. So I have two tattoos here, basically. Oh, there we go. I knew you would. <laughs> so yeah, so the second project, Green Planet AI, essentially it's a project which um, focuses around uh, solving climate change at this stage. Um, but if you think from perspective of like, you know, the way we, uh, the way the technology is going, a lot of the things would essentially use carbon as, an, as a raw material. So if you, if you look at the idea of superconductors, carbon nanotubes, graphene, and all those things, if you, minimize the cost for them. They will be replacing a lot of existing material, a lot of existing materials for, for example, electronics or even construction materials, and they will just be pretty much everywhere. 
-hmm. And um, so Green Planet AI is incorporating a few ideas. And one of those ideas is like, in order to solve climate change, we have to evolve into a carbon age. And in order to do that, we have to stimulate a lot of the process with regards to making sure that farmers who capture carbon dioxide get incentivized. But one of the things which I really got excited about is industrial hemp. Uh, and industrial hemp because essentially captures carbon dioxide four times quicker than any other um, you know, biomass uh, or like you know, tree. Um, uh, so yeah, any other plants. And uh, if you think perspective, okay, the number of applications that is already well known with regards to industrial hemp, where you can have make plastic, concrete material, construction material, textiles, paper, and all those things. And you think like, why this is not everywhere? So with Green Planet yeah, it's it's focusing around con um, uh, converting the awareness from existing you know, plastics and stuff like that into and metals into this carbon absorbing thing and then stimulating creation of nanomaterials. And of course the existing solutions like plastic and metals, they'll still exist, uh, but they'll be actually updated with a you know, graphene mixture because for example, one experience that, that I did, you, you get like 40% you know, increase in lifespan and brake pads, for example. Like if you just- In brake pads? Yeah, it's like, it's crazy figures. Like, and the thing is like added, you know, the cost to add this thing is minimal. So like, if you think of from perspective of economics, like if you make, for example, anything like um, with rubber or like with metal, the actual performance of the, the thing would be much greater. So you can make from a cheap material to a much more expensive material. And I think the oil industry will convert very well as well when they actually start instead of, you know, burning the fossil fuel into like, you know, and making energy out of it, actually change the direction towards making nanomaterial, which essentially make more money for them. So it's like the green plant yeah, is a is a complex mechanism in few in few words essentially like you know in one sentence essentially it's a stimulation um, stimulating system that makes sure that we grow more of in this case industrial hemp because I see that's uh, the quickest way to cap ca capture all the carbon dioxide that we have been emitting the last three hundred years. Essentially, the, the reverse engineering math says that we can essentially solve climate change in like sixteen years. And this is not exaggeration, the math is there. Like if we just if we just plant all Sahara right now, we we'll just minimize, like we just nullify all the carbon dioxide, just the Sahara. It's also the idea that uh, industrial hemp seeds, for example, can make 10 times more uh, nutrients than meat can. So if you think from perspective, like uh, every hectare that is used right now for meat, which is about 4 billion hectares on our planet, which is like a third of all planet land mm -hmm. for you know, raising cattle and et cetera. And you just start planting hemp for it you make more money every, with every hectare and then you make more nutrients, like 10 times more nutrients. Then you can actually do it with meat. And so you'll feed more people and at the same time you'll, so, you'll capture more carbon dioxide, which will make biomass, which then will go to you know, all the carbon nanomaterials. So essentially it's a, a system which captures, focuses on essentially subsidizing the whole supply chain from seed to the final product. And then you have the final project product out of it. So it's like, that's why it's like, there's this idea. But the final product essentially where you know, GA.io comes in, with regards to glasses, the idea is to use the, the nanomaterials into the, the carbon-based nanomaterials into the final product. For the next generation products, with GA to focusing on to, to use, for example, graphene, carbon nanotubes, for example, sensors that essentially the next generation type sensors, which is very important to, in order to develop the product, which there's even sensor that is made out of graphene that can identify if you might have a heart attack within half an hour, like your body re releases sweats. Um, wow. Like so it's like crazy technologies like that, but they would not be existent without, without those you know, materials. So essentially we're minimizing the cost of materials, educating people through Green Planet CI, but then there's also a project that I'm involved in directly so I can make sure that 
those technologies will be applied in you know, well-known and you know, patents will be open source. For me, for me the, I like the idea of you know, IPs to be open rather than you know, closed. Um, so that's kind of like a two projects that I'm mainly working on. And there's also a hobby project, so third project. Okay, tell um, me. But third project is like, it's more of a art creation thing. So you know that I'm into music and so, you know, creating arts and stuff like that. Uh, so I'll be posting more of that stuff uh, soon. I've been preparing a lot of, you know, kind of a roadmap of type of content that I want to release. And there's some songs that I've written. There's a music video. I don't know if I shared the music video with you, but that was done with the band. Um, uh, but now it's basically like, you know, um, what I want to do is I want to call it Cyber Dells. Um, I'm calling it mm -hmm. Cyber Dells. Uh, Dells, as you know, well, it's Latin, essentially. Uh, mm -hmm. Deus is, is what? God? God? God, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, the idea of like, you know, uh, with GA.io, essentially develop the technologies with regards to you know, BCI and emulators and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. maybe, maybe use, I think, emulators would have a really big role into managing a lot of resources more efficiently than, you know, current um, you know, business systems that currently exist. Um, and we can use them in a way that uh, with cyberdeosis, I want to make sure that we can create a creative type of an emulator. So which around music, around visual content, around like you know, textual content, so also writing books and stuff like that, but also researching on that kind of sphere where you can just like you know, um, play around with it as a creator yourself. Like I'm, I like to create content and then analyzing the way that an emulator would do the same process essentially across range of, you know, uh, range of tests. Essentially. So basically, so, ba so basically we have we have th two major prod projects one creative pursuit and then we have our we have our world record breaking champion on the way well it's uh, i'm still you know i'm still i'm nearly done so the video i've sent you the kettlebell swing it's actually a funny story how i, I like came into the endeavor of you know like thinking i should do beat like a you know, guinness world record because sure I, because in about two years or nearly three years ago I did similar records. I did like 44 swings using 50 kilos. I think it's like 110 pounds. Um, and I was kind of curious because I was doing like, you know, my limit was 33, I think. And I went to the cryotherapy to check out because I've heard like once you do, like you go out of the cold environment, once you do like, you know, have a session, your, your result will be increased. So, um, so I did like, you know, I came back, I did a cryotherapy, went back home did like 44 swings using 50 kilos. And mm -hmm. essentially when you do like, you know, kettlebell swing, usually it's about 40, 45 swings per minute. It's around that. So I need, I didn't measure in minutes, I just measured in quantity of swings. But if you measure, for example, the current world record, it's about 2,027, I think, kilos, you know, total amount of weight lifted in, in a, uh, you know, Russian, like swing, they call it Russian swing, I don't know why, like mm -hmm. American swing, above the head Russian, the shoulder. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, so I did, I did that thing with 44. So it's like two, two times 200 in one, one session. Was it done in one minute? Was it done in one minute? Five seconds? I don't, I don't know. But it's pretty much a similar result. So I said, okay, let me try to essentially beat the record. And the video I sent you was 56 kilos with a 36, 36 swing. But the last few swings were, were not there. Not, they wouldn't really be counted. They were like nearly there. So. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that was the video, but the yoga exercise thing, um, I'm nearly there. So like the record is two minutes, I think 30 or two minutes, 47 seconds. Uh, and I did today one minute, 55 seconds. And I'm doing, I'm doing this on, you know, vibration plates, which make it, making it even harder. So when I do actual record, it'll be much easier. 
And, his, and what he's talking about is on, on his hands like this, completely upside down on a vibrating plate. That, that's what we're talking about. I think, I think you can put, uh, can you do the picture thing? You can yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll add it in. I think that that'd be easier because like, uh, I can send you probably a few screen, like a proper video, proper screen. Dude's and a baller. Like, <laughs> the thing is like that, that thing, uh, that's, that post called the Scorpion. Um, yeah. And the thing is like, you know, I just want to beat the records in two separate disciplines. Like, you know, because Yogi is more of a like, you know, like, you know, meditative, like, you know, Zen kind of discipline. Also you use strength in the, in the Scorpion mm -hmm. both. It's, it's very, it's a lot about balance. But cannibal mm -hmm. swing is a lot about you know force where you just like exert a lot of amounts of energy within mm -hmm. a very short period of time. And for me, it was like what I really liked about cannibal is because it's like you know it puts your um, it essentially makes you back go backwards. Like you, mm -hmm. you feel more confident after this. And there's some studies with Jordan Peterson where he talked about you know uh, lobsters. I mean, probably know about this experiment where mm -hmm. they gave uh, serotonin up, you know uptakes when they essentially antidepressants and the better lobsters in the hierarchy essentially would attack a lot alpha lobster and the, if they win with they would do this dance and then if you think about it um you know this like uh, like yogi like when they do this kind of like meditation they have this pose as well like that when they sit like in a cross-legged and it's, it's basically talks about victory and stuff like that so it, it's the idea of confidence and serotonin is a very social thing and for me it was like when i started about five six years ago with the with kettlebells was like um, I felt my confidence level increased, and I could like you know if anyone would be more aggressive towards me, I'll I'll respond calmly, or like I would be, you uh, know, assertive, not aggressive, but more assertive, and just like be more more clear-minded. Okay, so I have three I, things to say. Sorry, I needed to say them before I forget. The yeah. that that we can see that um, that there is a dominance hierarchy in lobsters is insane. Um, the fact, yeah. the the power of standing up straight with your shoulders back. I think that's rule number one in uh, order yeah. to chaos or whatever, how to how to live, yeah. whatever it is. Stand up straight with yeah, your shoulders back. I mean, it sets you up for just just everything. 12, that's how you should con conduct for, yourself. I think it's called twelve rules for life. Twelve rules. Twelve rules for, for life. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, and then our last one is I I think confidence is uh, yourself. You know how you were talking about. When we were talking about AGI, you're talking about seeing yourself relate to the world and then like kind of uh, an, an internal representation of yourself. I think confidence is that internal representation of yourself. It's you seeing yourself get closer to the point where you want to go. So if you have an aim, uh, you develop confidence by seeing yourself increasingly move towards that point in which you want to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that the idea is also that if you're thinking from perspective of subjective and objective viewpoints, is that like for the subjective points, there is a feedback loop when someone is doing a set of activities and then the society responds to, for example, a good set of activities, a bad set of activities. They would say, okay, you're doing something well, you're not doing something well. And then people name themselves as successful if they're doing something well and society accept them. But then you'd say like there's an outcast or outsider who can actually be outside of this, you know, subjective, objective viewpoints when they'll be just thinking from perspective of how nature works, where they'll be exploring the processes and they would, for example, change the way of thinking from current existing systems to more of like a levels of abstractions, where you see where they see the logic and then everything else is pretty much representation of that logic and just naming of things. And why like levels of abstractions, when you think from perspective, for example, you look at you know, logic and essentially quantum physics and logic and math and for example, 
physics, chemistry, biology, neuroscience, and psychology, and then you go forward in terms of like transaction exchanges. But then you think from perspective, okay, this is how it exists today. And then if you want, for example, a completely different set of rules, in, like not so, if you want to make some completely something different, then you have to detach yourself and become this kind of a meta alpha, I like to call it, because there's an alpha and there's like a sigma male basically where you have to see different hierarchies and then you kind of align yourself with those different hierarchies, but you're outside literally looking above them, like from the bird's eye view. And then you can say, okay, I want to be in that position because I see that it will lead to the destination I need to. So I'll be like, for example, be an intern at some company and learn, for example, like tropical, I'll be like, you know, uh, you know, trying to reach someone where he or, he or she would basically provide a lot of information I would require, but I'll be basically like, you know, a better person, not alpha, but a better person in the, in the conversation. And in a way that not better, like, you know, under, but better from the perspective, not dominance hierarchy, but competence hierarchy. I think that's mm -hmm. what very importantly what Jordan Peterson pointed out. Oh, I love that he made that correction. Yeah, because I think the, the competence of hierarchy is super crucial. We get the people who are like, you know, dominant and they're trying to you know, force people under them. But then there's competent people who actually can align and redistribute resources in a way that will benefit more people. And therefore, it, the dominance thing is like a precursor of success in the short term. But a competence hierarchy is it's a precursor when you, you can be competent, it's a precursor for long-term success. So I think when you have happen, you have it, yeah. Have you seen the studies with rats that he points out? Uh, the if it, I think a, a rat is like double or uh, two thirds greater in body mass, um, that rat's gonna win in a play every time because rats have play circuitry, they play with each yeah. other. So if two rats are playing and one's significantly larger than the other one, the larger one has to let the smaller rat play a certain number of times to continue playing. So it's like what yeah. you were talking about when people are super dominant, um, the problem is that they're, people are going to stop playing with them because it's not fun to play with someone who's, who is either kicking your ass every single time or is making the game not fun. That's one of my favorite thing he points out the the winner of the, like, you're not trying to, to win the game. Like when we're talking about, uh, when we're talking about hierarchies, like there, it's not just, that there's one hierarchy in the world. It's that there's like these, it's this multiple multitude of different hierarchies there's one hierarchy in, in like the silicon valley tech space and then another one in, in within your own school or within a club there's all these different ones and and the goal isn't to reach the top of a single hierarchy it's i think or if you think of the hierarchy kind of as games it's not to win win the game it's to be invited to play again because you want to be competing in as many things as possible to eventually like be the winner uh to reach the top of, like the meta hierarchy like I think the, 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 the winning of the game is really to get invited back again. That's like why you have to play fair. Cause people remember if you cheat, they're not going to want, they're not going to want to have you back and you want to be invited back. Cause that's how you're continually being integrated in this process. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. I think from perspective, if, from the viewpoint, it's not about being like parts of many hierarchies or like uh, from what I see, uh, like, it's more about reshape, like reshaping and creating difference by essentially, first of all, bringing the awareness of a new process as possible, and then essentially verifying and testing it. But when you, for example, play in different hierarchies and people want, for example, people want you to be invited in, in, in order to essentially exchange information, then you know, two, two viewpoints can clash. Some, some of the dominance ones were like bigger and more abusive or aggressive, uh, then those ones, essentially might not be able to receive new set of information 
that when this information would be valuable to them, you know, for example, they would just like lose out on the deals. Mm-hmm. Or that, w- that would be like a more conservative person. Yeah. Yeah. A person who wants so, to like maintain their views. Cause really that's what a conservative person is. They just want to maintain their views. And that's what I think yeah. the liberal person is, is they're, they're wanting to almost, you could kind of, if you're going to like characterize it, they want to constantly be changing their views. And so it's that, I love this idea of like the, those two opposing forces. So it's like, you're trying to maintain the structure, which is the conservative force, but you're constantly trying to update it and revitalize it for the moment, which is the, which is the liberal progressive force. So I I don't know if it's always going to be the case that we have uh, conservatives and liberals just because that is so those seem like two fundamental forces that we can't really escape. And I don't know if we should be trying to escape them. I think it should be. The thing is, like, if you think from the perspective of nature, conservative force is more about preserving nature, preserving life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think from the perspective of liberal kind of side of things, it's more about exploring your potential to enrich life. And I think the idea is that they have to work simultaneously in the way that if you're going to way too risky endeavor, endeavors and the conservative side wouldn't like, you know, stop them, then they would just like, you know, lose them, lose uh, the life would be lost, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like for example, like you know, like for example, people. Yeah, uh, people consider lion is the most dangerous thing in some cases. But if you look at, uh, for example, hippopotamus, like you know, hippo, uh, the hippo is more dangerous. Essentially, uh, hippo can kill a lion easily, uh, and nobody talks about that. Or like very few people know about it. But for example, imagine if we were like you know, hunt the gatherers, and then we saw a hippo, and we'd be laughing at them, and then like people would be just approaching them, like, and then like many people just died, like because they can kill mm-hmm. a person. Very, very easily. The people don't say like they need a bulletproof, like in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, in perspective of that, is like a liberal person will approach it, like you know, like uh, but a conservative person, for example, will, will look out, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like you know in a tri- tribal kind of way. But then you think from perspective of business kind of things, like you know, preserving business processes, or preserving like you know communities processes and the way of thinking, and then a new opposing side, if they can can structure their argument in a way that other people would integrate into, into their conservative mindset, or at least consider, then things would change. But if they couldn't, couldn't produce those arguments, then they could not. Um, and that's why the idea of being overconfident about your arguments, you have to always have like a skepticism of whatever you say. You have to see the strong and weak points of where it's relative. I think from everything what I'm like, I've looked at, nothing is solid, everything is fluid. And that's why, I think the last time we, we kind of like pointed out the idea of liquid rock, I think like, because I want to be a writer at the same time, but I like the idea of, you know, a business structure systems, they're more like, you know, they changing life. You see actual thing in people's hands rather than, you know, just a theory of what people can play around with. So mm-hmm. I like the idea of being a writer, but for me, I think it's also the idea of being someone who is practical in, you know, doing things. And then writing is more about reflecting on those activities. And uh, for me, one of the things that really became fascinating about the idea of like liquid rock, the, the idea of you know, constantly evolving mechanism where you just have the structure, but you know that you look from perspective or that you will always change and you'll never be, you know, never be one, this one identity, you'll always, be, you'll always be evolving. And the person who Andrew like five years ago is completely different from the person who is today. I think the same, same here with you, Max. I think you're like probably five, 10 years ago, a completely different person, if you had different value system. And you, every cell in your body was essentially different. Mm-hmm. It's like every seven years, every cell in your body recycles, I mean, 99.9%. So it's like, that's the thing is like, uh, if you think perspective of every atom essentially 
attaching to another atom to form a molecule. And it's just like, you know, constant sh- in a flux and then mm-hmm. all this shifts, they're designed to find an ap- optimal way in our evolution cycle. But also the Kardashev scale, I think that's one really cool thing to look at. Like, you know about Kardashev scale? I think we talked about it before. The Kardashian scale is, it's not the Kardashians. It's not, it's not ranking mm-hmm. the, it's not yeah. ranking Kylie, Courtney, Chloe, and, and <laughs> Kim and, and those far. It's a, uh, yeah. it's a way to classify civilizations. Yeah. Yeah. Is it something so like that? Yes. Kardashian scale is all about classifying the civilization evolution based upon how much uh, aggregate energy they use. I think I like this point of like, think perspective of when you make decision. Lately, I start applying it in the way that when, I make decision in business, I kind of consider the whole cycle of, you know, energy processes and action processes. And the amount of energy should be less, but the actual product must, you know, be greater than the energy input, it, um, like, you know, the value of it. And if you think from perspective of everything that held us together, all the atoms that is held together in the molecule, essentially it's energy that's holding them together. Mm-hmm. And then- I think that's an electromagnetic force that holds the, holds the pieces of the atom together, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah, so pretty much, from perspective of like, if you think about, okay, you break that apart and you look more deeper, then if you look at the idea of Kardashev scale, um, the whole role of like, you know, civilization, evolution of a human being is to be aware of more processes. And then once you gain that awareness across different hierarchies and across different, you know, meta skills and the way people engage with you, then you become aware, then you integrate those processes and create a better set of systems uh, create greater value for the you know, for society, but then at the whole thing, at the whole uh, you just acquire more energy as well in that cycle. So you reach you know next level on the Kardashian scale. The whole like you know one, two, and three levels in Kardashian scale is about you know reaching the level where the, all the people on our planet, are like you know all aliens on other planets, they can reach the energy uh, of you know um, the whole planet essentially. They they use all the energy on the whole planet and they cycle it through. Level two is about solar system, level three is about galaxy. And then you move further on, I know, to universe, multiverse, and people say matrix, like, you know, level six. Mm-hmm. When we exit the matrix, we meet the God and stuff like that. Maybe, I mean, uh, it's what I believe, essentially. I'm not really religious in one way or another. I'm more of the idea, and I'm not agnostic or anything like that. I, I still I think there are some entities that are out there, maybe just our imagination. But those entities essentially make sure that we evolve quicker. I think because without religion, they're the chaos. I'm sure, like three thousand years ago, if religion wouldn't form properly, like more than less, um, the religion helped us to be organized in some in some way, and it was really positive. And so, yeah, I worry people dis discard or disregard re- uh, religion as like a thing of the past too quickly without without really doing uh some deep thinking about it because when if you really take the completely scientific materialist view it's like i feel like it's really a slippery slope um before you like quickly lose lose the meaning that life has and there there's this great mm-hmm. podcast i listen to and it's, and it's all about the creation of meaning and that's what that's what nietzsche was talking about at the end because you know how everyone quotes him as saying god is dead as if it's some triumphant thing but if you read that, if you read the two, the page before and the page after that, he is like, guys, we did a, like through this, uh, 1800, through this period of like, uh, 
enlightenment thinking and and reason and and scientific advancement and this more materialist point of view we've we've killed the god that we have essentially created and now now what are we left with what's the thing that's connecting all of us and he's talking and so he says like uh, for the Ubermensch, for the Superman, it's a person that creates their own values, creates their own things that they consider meaningful. meaningful. And I just worry that if people uh, are are the atheist type and then don't like really think hard about like how how they're going to live a more meaningful life, then they aren't. And they're going to resort to, oh, nothing matters. My actions don't have consequences. Everything is just atoms, which may be true. And this, it may be true, but it's not useful. This is the thing that I, I keep coming back to. It's like, is, I wonder if the search, the movement towards truth is really like all that useful because I always think, I don't know. I don't know if string theory is right. I don't know if there really is, a, um, if this world really is 11 dimensions and we can't only operate with three spatial dimensions and one time dimensions. I don't know, but say that's true. What use does that have to us? It's like we're, we can't interact with them. It's just like you go crazy thinking that, oh, I don't have full access to the world. Like it's, it's not really useful. And so it's like for this podcast, what's the point? Is the point to find the truth or is it to, to live, live a better life? And so I think you kind of have to strike the balance between evolving your viewpoints, moving towards the truth, but also thinking what's going to help us? What's going to make the world a better place? Like it's all these things coming together. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like I'm I'm with no I'm with you on that because and a lot on that is that once you say like you're you're doing a podcast or you're doing some like business or like engaging with people, I think it's it's about having fun. I think it's first of all it's about having fun in the process, like enjoying the process and you know, like you reaching some destination, you'll change your hope throughout that period of time. And the idea of Uberman when you when you become aware of your own value system and then you start shaping that value system according to to like some standards that you have and the the ideas that you think the society should function at. I think that's really cool because then it's like uh, you can make you can make changes in society. I think everyone can make changes. And uh, I think no one is really special. It's just like uh, you put effort, you evolve, you, put, you, you do it multiple times, you, you get to the next level in terms of understanding of how processes uh, function. And then you go deeper and deeper in every, in, in every discipline or you go in like in a wider and then you start being creative. And you can stimulate creativity. I mean, like, um, you can stimulate creativity through breathing exercise, through meditation, like the whole tropic breathing, for example. Or you can mm-hmm. take psychedelics, for example. Maybe psychedelics. Maybe have you seen? Have you seen the study? Uh, I, this is what I was going to say before when you were t- when we were kind of talking about when we were talking about the known and the unknown. Uh, the people, yeah. the liberals versus the conservatives. It's like it's yeah. the order and the chaos idea. It's um, people were. I saw researchers were trying to stimulate a brain state that I think they called the chaos state, and it was mm-hmm. basically striking that perfect balance between standing right right on the edge between the known and the unknown between the order and the chaos. Cause they think that is like the most hyper creative uh, connects the most parts of the brain that don't normally talk like through psych- psychedelic use. So like in, in serious companies and serious like research settings, they're trying to stimulate that, that chaotic state almost that just the one step back before chaos. Cause that's where all the craziest, maybe most influential ideas are going to come from. No, I, I think so as well. I think it's like the idea, if you think perspective of, uh, you, know, you know, like two hemispheres, yeah, left and right hemisphere. And mm-hmm. I think it also go, goes kind of, kind of the idea of conservative and you know, liberal kind of thing. Like yeah. The idea of right hemisphere as being more of like a kind of liberal hemisphere, more creative associated with, you know, art and 
and creativity, and then you have a left one with more, with more regards to logic. And I think, it, I think even Jordan Peterson pointed out when the idea of what information coming into the chaos, we don't know what the information is essentially. Like, is it the, like, you know, it's a danger or is it like a mate that can reproduce? Is it food or is it like, mm-hmm. is it shelter? And then- um, Is it something we should stay away from or is it something that we should should move towards? Yeah, yeah. So, and then you have that information coming in and then you have to process that information. You have to create a logic, a structure around it. And then once you got this information between like, you know, hemispheres, those hemispheres communicate and then you constantly change the, you know, the different weights, like, you know, like a neural network would change weights with regards to uh, mm-hmm. what is like dangerous and what is not. Same here. So like, you know, this recent topic was about, um, I was looking into the video, I haven't watched it properly, uh, liquid neural, neural networks. The idea of like constantly changing you know, uh, net networks and all of those ways on how things should operate on and what the, you know, the outcome should be from, from the new uh, aggression um, would essentially change based upon other parameters that essentially would uh, integrate into a more holistic approach. I think the, the idea of consciousness would be from that, but let's, let's not jump there yet. The idea that I think from chaos and order is that generating new ideas that I think are valuable and then being able to execute on those ideas. Um, on the state Zen, yeah, the Zen state when you're into the state, um, in the state of flow, that's the mm-hmm. most, most uh, uh, people like this state in uh, your companies. I think that's, that's the one you mentioned, the idea on mm-hmm. the edge. Um, I think that state is defined not just by the internal chemical processes within yourself, but it's also about the external processes that the company is providing to its workforce. So if the company is providing um, the tasks which are very easy, they'll be good. They'll get bored, and if the tasks are very too hard, they'll mm-hmm. they'll not engage with those things because they wouldn't know how to, you know, solve those problems. So that you video you of... sent me, the how to set goals, uh, the oh god, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Huberman. Yeah, um, he was saying I, I watched the first half of it or part of it. He was saying that I think the perfect balance is uh, fail fifteen percent of the time. Yeah. And so it's like, so it's like, you're not, you're not failing enough to discourage you, but you're also failing enough to uh, like build up brain plasticity. Cause that's actually neural uh, neurologically what, what happens. And also to kind of just go back and reiterate, uh, reiterate and just go over your own ideas and make them more robust. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that when you, you fail not too many times, I think that's why you have to set goals and then you have to break down those like you know, big goals into like steps. Smaller, actionable know. steps. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, but then as he said, I think I, I, I nearly finished watching that video, um, but it's like Andrew Human, I really love the guy when he's you not know, breaking, he breaks down to the level of abstraction of how, you know, the chemistry inside our, our brain, like, you know, this, as I like to say, the chemical soup and electric impulse, essentially how it dictates of the set of our actions. And I like the way he, when he answers those question in a more, um, in a more like detailed way from, you know, in high depth. Yeah, in a more scientifically grounded way. Yeah, yeah. Because I think like, for example, one of the things I really like, um, um, like, you know, in the in fitness world, they use a lot of creative, for example. And then people talk about like, okay, people should use creatine to get, you know, like greater, uh, you know, performance, but then the creatine messes up a lot of the hormonal system because it's one of the very important systems with regards to energy creation. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a short burst. And then those processes are important inside your, uh, inside your body. And so, for example, when you look from a scientific point of view of how it will affect you long-term, and you know what to take, what not to take. And uh, for me, it's like, okay, creating 
I'm kind of staying away from all, like you know exogenous stuff as much as I can, um, not to achieve my results. I think like I'm, I'm as natural as possible. I'm not, the only thing I'm taking is HTP5, yeah. Um, and that's the only thing like just a normal thing. Um, but yeah, I think back to the brain, uh, left and right, this idea of being in state of the flow, I think it's um, it's the role of the management, uh, you know, and the leaders in the company to make sure that people are doing the right thing. I think it ha has to be the customers first, then it's process in order to achieve that. And then it's people to, you know, be essentially not injected into the process essentially, but be a part of the whole holistical system that then that outputs a specific thing that customers want. And then, you know, be creative around that. So having like, for example, I love Elon Musk in the way he thinks in creating different products. And he creates a lot of you know, gravitas essentially around different solutions. And then, you know, he makes people dream and think about the future potential, which is really cool. I think more people should be like him in terms of like understanding that it's not about, you know, it's not about you, it's about the society, it's about you know, evolution of human beings. And I think a lot of what he's doing in regards to you know, evolving people to the next level on the Kardashian scale, essentially. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of um, cool. I think from perspective of chaos that comes out and also chaos that comes in, I think the meditation is really useful when you when you kind of like, you know, zen yourself into a flow state, you take away the chatter, but also you, um, you recalibrate your, your brain and your body to operate at greater efficiency once you meditate. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, you're able to you know, input information at a quicker pace and then you know, output and process essentially as mm -hmm. well. I think, I think an under-hyped under -hyped duo is, is journaling. Before I use OneNote on my computer, I just everything that's in my head, I just try to get out because when I'm typing yeah. it, I feel like it's leaving me and then go and then do 15 minutes of meditation. Because sometimes, yeah. sometimes if I just go straight into meditation, I have so much in my mind, say it's like, say your ideas are like passing balloons. And I think mm -hmm. of, I think of meditation, almost like grabbing one of those balloons, looking at it and then letting it go and having it fly off. I think the, the journaling is like a preemptive, uh, like, popping of those balloons so maybe you'll have five instead of 500 when you sit down and just do nothing or whatever your version of meditation is whether it's focusing on your breath um do having some type of mantra i think it just mm. clears your head and it just it's way way better for me way easier honestly once if i get it all out there if i purge all my thoughts in in and uh through journaling and then i can really focus on the nothingness I'll, I'll let me find my meditation. I did this meditation. It was like an extreme um, breathing session, like about an hour session. Mm -hmm. And I was doing like, you know, vocal guiding. So I was basically recording my voice while I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, breath work. It's about sitting position. I should do a video. I'll send you the video once it's done. So mm -hmm. basically it's, it's about 15 things calibrated into one where you essentially move your spinal fluid towards your essentially hemisphere where you create extra pressure in your pineal glands where you essentially create greater energy inside your brain since you have more electricity inside your brain. So you can actually get to a state of nirvana in like five minutes easily. Like you just like, you, you go out of your, you're like, you know, the sensation of being outside your body. It's like, it's one of those things where it can speed up the, the neurochemical process of what meditation do to yourself. Of course, the physiological and psychological thing is a bit different because you have to reshape your value system, but that's more about being, being above you know, the process of looking uh, looking above the problem and essentially detaching itself from your, from you and then being able to you know uh, reassess it from different angles um, and so 
when you need chemicals and you have more energy, then you can do it with much ease because actually you're feeling high. <laughs> so being high mm. is also cool. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. yeah. I've never really had a, I've never done any psychedelics. I've never had a real like ego dissolution type moment. The only thing is that I can pretty consistently just through my breath get a, have you used like any, any nicotine devices before? Not much. I mean, I'm not really big on nicotine. I mean, okay. Not... Well, the nicotine devices are really big in like teens, high schools, colleges. Um, yeah. And for me, it's like just this kind of buzz, this buzzing feeling. It's this tingly buzz. And I can get that really consistently through two minutes of breathing. It's, yeah. it's breathing in as much as you can. And then just letting out uh, maybe like 20% of what you breathe in and just continuing that. And I don't know if it's reducing the uh, uh, amount of oxygen, re reducing the amount of CO2. I think it's one of those two. And it is, ju it's just this buzzy pure feeling. And one time after a sauna, I wanted you to ask you about the, the cryo um, after a sauna, it was raining and I lied out flat on my yard and I did this breathing thing. And it was, I think it's it goes down as the most spiritual moment I've ever had. Cause I just felt this. I had my hands on the earth. It was raining down on me. I just got out of the sauna. It's cold outside. I'm on the grass. And I just felt, I just felt this connection to everything that I haven't felt since and I, that I'd never felt before. And it was like through this, like, if you're thinking of like the atomic lens, like thinking about atoms and everything, all the chemical reactions, I just felt like completely part of this system. When a lot of the time, this ego that you have, these, these eyes that you see, because you only see like from your perspective in a lot of ways, like, because, because you're kind of, you're locked in this body, it's hard to break out of that. I just felt connected to the system and it was, it was amazing. No, it's good. It's, I think it's a really good feeling when you actually like, you know, um, I think sauna is one of the things which increases your growth hormone, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. um, Rhonda Patrick did a study and she was talking about, with Joe Rogan about it. Yeah. And uh, they did like kind of three day sessions, uh, like, like two hours a day for, uh, three days straight couldn't be two hours maybe maybe usually you would want to do something like between like if you do uh, one 150 degrees fahrenheit you would be able to do it for maybe 20 25 minutes uh that would be like a good a good session and then if you do like 210 230 even those are like really hot like i don't even know if they're legal in the u.s you know you gotta you gotta know someone that knows someone to get a 230 degree one you, you, you can only stay in there for like 12 minutes because it's just too hot I think she did like an 80 degrees Celsius of probably about 110 Fahrenheit. I'm not really good at Fahrenheit system. Mm -hmm. uh, so she did like 80 degrees Celsius for one hour and then did a half an hour or an hour break and then they came back. Hmm. Um, so I think that the, the purpose of this experiment was to find if you had an increase in growth hormone and uh, essentially the, the baseline increased, I think, by a thousand percent. Yeah, something crazy. Hormone. Yeah, which actually proves the point that your body doesn't lose amino acids, therefore you can live longer, essentially, because the you know, telomeres that they don't have, they will not get as short, they will not get shortened, essentially, as much. Um, so yeah, the thing is, I... sauna definitely prolongs life. I think also sauna with regards to connecting, uh, I think it's just because probably when meditating as well, I think it's many things. It's not just sauna, I think it's when, did you go outside in the cold? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think the cold. No, you got like, to after like, the sauna. You got to go inside some cold after. That's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I love that idea. It's like when you have this like tingling effect in your body. I really like it. So mm -hmm. I've never done the cryo nice. though. I want to. I've done sauna and cold plunge. Sauna and cold plunge. I actually prefer sauna and cold plunge. Cryo has its own effect. Um, I was pushing my limiting cry. I think the longest I've been in cryo was about five minutes and a half. I think five minutes wow. and a half seconds. And and just um, how cold is that in Celsius? 
uh, I think it was 110 Celsius and it was like a room. So it wasn't like, you know, a negative 110 Celsius. Yeah. So that's, that's gotta be like 250 or 200, something like that in Fahrenheit that below that's cold. Yeah. So I think I was like, I think I had about 15, 20 sessions overall in my life with regards to cryotherapy. I think once I, I got burned in cryo, like a lot, like my body, like, you know, I had a uh, skin, skin burn for wow. five, five, six days. And I had, this, I was doing in a chamber and I think the lady uh-huh. had like um she put too much hydrogen to things because the first time i came <laughs> to the chamber i could see my feet and the second time i went there i could barely see like you know like above my chest and interesting i thought, I thought this weird she feeling just, she like she just dumped too much hydrogen in there and tried to freeze you to death <laughs> yeah like when i when i came out i looked at my right arm and like like literally the muscles just like shrink so much there was literally no muscles in my arm right arm. wow like, and so the skin was like like literally peeling like that like just like like that and i was like whoa <laughs> and she looked Jesus. at me she's like oh fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh fuck sorry you have frostbite <laughs> i don't i don't know sorry yeah. <laughs> thank you for coming is, well thank you for coming the thing is like when i came in i didn't sign any weaver before like so i could she was like thinking i would sue her but i was like no come on like it's funny I like doing all that stuff because it pushes you out of your comfort zone. Like if I love this theme of this, how a lot of it relates back to the call it whatever you want, call it the known and the unknown, call it the order of the chaos, call it the conservative and the liberal, call it the the left versus right hemisphere. I, I think um, the the explored versus unexplored territory. You can relate a lot to that. It's like, and I think that balance is just it's a good framework for thinking about the world. And I think it's. I think it's simple and I think it's pretty accurate and widely applicable. It's like, so those things that push you out of your comfort zone, like, like the sauna, like the cold plunge, I think those things are good because they just make you more resilient. They make you more willing to do hard things, which I just think is a great skill. And just like those calculated risks, all of them, I think they contribute. And if you do, if you do all of them consistently, I can't imagine like the ben- the long-term benefits of them. Like you're just going to be so much more healthy on the long-term. Yeah, I think one of the experiments that I started doing recently and I'm continuing doing uh, is uh, when I'm waking up, uh, not every day, but like when I wake up, I jump into the shower and I put like a lot of cold water, cold water, then hot water. And I just like switch it up and like to the coldest I can mm-hmm. go into the shower and then it's like not to extreme hot, but to the, to the hottest I can do. Yeah. Essentially, like change it up like 15, 20 times. And I, the first time I did it, like I remember my back just going like, straighten mm-hmm. it up and I was so it's, confused yeah it's, it's immediate though you don't have any control over that's automatic yeah. mm-hmm. and, I was, and so I started doing it like you know frequently because like I was asking myself okay what's happening inside your brain so think from perspective of like you know the blood brain barrier essentially once you know you change temperatures a lot of nutrients will start you know moving around your brain so what happens is essentially brain it receives all the things it needs in order to operate and that's why basically like you know the back straightened up um mm. I think because like you know just the body said like the brain said thank you to the to the environment i guess but the idea like the once you're outside the comfort zone when you look at like not just you know the physical thing like you know exercise the cold heart the meditation and like mm-hmm. what i like about meditation is also the idea of like being able to sit for a long period of time and not um not standing up so in the way that you can like you know sit for 20 or 30 minutes just like you know focus on breathing uh focus on be, like being in an empty environment and mm-hmm. just observing the thoughts. And I, I like what you said about when when you wake up, you just write the ideas as, as far as I said, like you just mm-hmm. write the ideas and then you meditate. 
because like mm-hmm. when i wake when i wake up i usually even some like like probably i made like i've heard about 15 probably about maybe a bit less maybe like, i can't remember exact number of songs but about 15 new songs while i was sleeping then i woke up and i heard those songs and i just rhymed them in my phone and then like some of them i just like you know, took the guitar and started playing and it's kind of cool when you like you know come up with, with different ideas and it's like you know you listen to things, you see things, you see solutions. You, um, I started asking myself, myself as well recently, uh, like to come up with solutions. Edison did that. Um, he was asking himself before he went to bed, um, mm-hmm. like for a solution. And he also used like two metal, uh, two metal bowls when he was sitting in a dark room. He would just like lay lay there, and he would fall asleep, and those bowls would fall, and he they would wake him up. But he would come up with an idea basically in that period of time while while in this quick REM sleep essentially mm-hmm. so i think i think the idea like tapping into your subconscious and using the subconscious you know, to, you know speed up your process of creating cool ideas internally and you know like pushing your outside like you know comfort zone sometimes sleep deprivation is also a good tool for me like i like the idea of sometimes sleep depriving myself so i can come up with solutions um, mm. it's, it's i don't really know i don't know if i would if i would promote that personally <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like, I, I would, I don't like the, the idea of promoting that, but sometimes like, you know, when you force yourself outside of like, you know, sleep uh, outside of this idea of, okay, I have to sleep, but it's like, okay, you don't. Like, I wanted to do this like um, thing called Uberman cycle. I don't know if you know this Uberman cycle thing. What is that? So like, there's Uberman and the Demaxian sleep cycle. So Uberman cycle is when you sleep six times a day for 20 minutes. So uh-huh. you break it down with like, I think like five, uh, four hours or like three hours, 40 minutes and then you sleep like 20 minutes after that and then you go back so your body jumps into a REM sleep so technically speaking you sleep like uh, only two hours a day so you have 22 hours working basically just do, mm-hmm. so you have more working hours essentially and the maximum one is basically when you sleep just for half an hour but you do it four times a day and you do like five and a half hours awake basically so, mm-hmm. so i think i want i really want to try the maximum sleep cycle so essentially i can be like you know working like 140 hours a week essentially because if, like essentially have more time and um, well i'm glad you're doing that experiment and not me because i do not <laughs> i want you to report back and tell me about your crazy sleep experiments and tell me <laughs> tell me how fucked up you were after a week of it and see if that 140 hours how productive what you guys you got to track the number of productive hours not mm-hmm. just the number of hours working and the thing is like because the productivity is also based upon location how you can transport yourself and stuff like that like because once you know if you're passing out four times a day then it's like okay um, you might be needed somewhere else and then you're tired for example for a meeting where you have to be in that meeting or for example mm-hmm. you know. so the idea of like having a, like you know social cycle sleeping at night uh like you know um, monophasic sleep essentially mm-hmm. is correct so i think for me right now i think once I start doing this experiment properly, then I'll, I'll let you know what's going to be. I, I actually, once I was doing nearly an Uberman cycle, I was literally uh, going in meetings inside Ubercar while doing an Uberman cycle. So I was like, and then my body got That's so hilarious. adapted. To, nice. It's so weird. But it's weird because you sleep many times a day. Like, I think I, think I was sleeping six times a day. I was like four or five times a day. I was like, you know, passing out. And then mm-hmm. one moment I was like, after a flight, I came, I, I came um, to bed like into like, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning and i was super tired but I, then i went to bed slept in like 20 or 30 minutes woke up by, automatically and then like you know i was fully awake and the body had this weird rhythm because like i think it's just hyped up on adrenaline and cortisol 
So just like, you know, you have this ability to, you know, uh, focus. Because cortisol helps with focus, but, you know, when you have too much cortisol, you have anxiety and stuff like that. Um, yeah. On the, on, just, the hmm? on the topic of sleep, that was what, have you read, have you read uh, the Gulag Archipelago? Uh, I haven't read about it, but uh, I mean, Jordan you should li- you should listen to the audiobook. It it's mm-hmm. the most trans it's the most life changing book I've ever read for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was and it's basically Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a a prisoner in in Soviet Russia that not a lot of people know about from 1919 to 1956. It was just this ridiculously complex, vast array of prisons internally in Russia that Stalin used uh, like really it almost seemed without purpose i mean they were forced labor camps but they were so anti-productive there's so much unnecessary torture people just being arrested for ridiculous innocent charges but why i'm saying this is one thing that surprised me was the use of sleep deprivation as a formidable form of torture and i didn't realize that like I would have thought, I would have thought, yeah, I'd probably rather go, I'd probably rather go seven days without sleeping or four days without sleeping than uh, being whipped or being beaten or worked, worked in the freezing cold. And uh, some, and some of the people, some of the stories in there made me say, maybe I was, maybe I was underestimating uh, the power of sleep because it, it, without sleep, you were like barely even a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like your, if you think about the sleep cycles, it's like the brain, if you don't have enough sleep, then parts of your brain start to switch off and mm-hmm. to like, you know, preserve itself. And then you start to function very weirdly. Like that's something for experimentation purposes, in order to come up with some solutions or some ideas, if you're like really like, you know, need to experiment yourself out of something, then yeah, it might be useful. But then having it on a regular basis, I think, like for me, like six hours, six and a half hours of sleep, that's how much I'm usually getting. My body just wakes up automatically. So like when I, um, I'm not experimenting with myself. I just like, you know, go to bed six hours later as I'm up basically by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, the body, like on weekends, like, okay, I just like have a seven or eight hour sleep. Um, but again, like, I, I don't know, pretty much work, work all the time. So for me, it's like, it's um, like, you know, weekend is more like internal work, more like reflecting work. But weekdays mm-hmm. more like in a social kind of like routine. The one thing like. I was gonna, I was gonna say when you sorry to interrupt, but mm-hmm. I just worry because you have a lot going on on your plate. I just want you to be able. To, I just want you to have a, the ability to give sufficient attention to the all all of your projects. Because I've been a I've been a victim of having too many things going on at once and then not giving sufficient attention to all of them. I've been writing, trying to do podcasts, trying trying to go to work, trying to go to school, trying to sleep, trying to exercise, and it's just when you have so many things, it's hard to hard to treat them each with the level of attention that they deserve. So I just were I just I just in pursuing all these things, it's like you gotta just stay laser focused and kind of you kind of have to make sacrifices and choose. Okay, what am I gonna focus on? What am I not gonna focus on? What am I like? What do I really want to pursue? Because you don't want to spread yourself too thin. That's something I've definitely been definitely done to myself. Yeah, I think from perspective of how I'm trying to not to like uh, juggle around like in terms of like making sure I'm focusing on, on the thing which I think is most important. It's, uh, is that first of all, I try to reflect on the energies I have at the moment as well. So like, first of all, I'm thinking, okay, I have the, I laid out, for example, a plan for my life, but uh, for like 30 to 40 years, I want to create sort of projects, about five, six of them. There's, I don't really want to do more than that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and they, and I was basically, uh, you know, combining them in a way that uh, they just like, you know, 
one would have the existence of another. So for example, the G8 and mm -hmm. green planet, they coexist in a way that, for example, if you lose, if you lower the material cost, for example, carbon nanotubes and other than of carbon-based nanomaterials that are that be required for the G8 next generation products, mm -hmm. through the green planet, yeah, essentially. Mm -hmm. Then you would essentially create greater profits and greater, you know, um, returns for GA.io, but at the same time, because you have the green planet yeah, working in a way that it's solved specific problem, mm -hmm. then you have that. So I'm basically shifting my focus around them in the way that when I'm like, I think Elon Musk does the same thing where he basically focuses two days on SpaceX, two days on Tesla, and then mm -hmm. he focuses Friday between the two projects. And then he thinks mm -hmm. Saturdays apart. I think that's what he does. And mm -hmm. I'm basically, and for me, because I've always like, you know, creative chaos, for example, when you laser focus and you turn on something, then, then you move to another thing, but it's not too, de too detached from the thing, they're interrelated. And so, for example, for exercise-wise, with like, you know, Guinness World Record thing, for me, it's just because I do like two to three times a week. My exercise is really no more than like an hour a week. Mm -hmm. I don't really do more than that. And because I use this like vibration plate and the kettlebell, kettlebell is very like intense and short exercise, mm -hmm. it's like 15, 20 minutes. And you do like two or three times a week, and then that's it. And you know, cold bath is basically like meditation. So when I sit in cold bath, for me, like, okay, I'm reflecting and I'm mm -hmm. thinking about things. And for me, there's a process of, you know, like input process output. And for me, like, okay, I have this you know, reverse engineering. That's, I think, one of the most important things, that, if not the most important, is that the projects, but the way I design the steps and, you know, the roadmap towards re re achieving specific steps is with regards to reverse engineering the condition that I want to create and then finding the most optimum route to reach that by essentially mm -hmm. you know, losing out all the unnecessary actions that would be taken otherwise if I haven't done that before. I think I just gave myself a lot of time beforehand and cleared up between projects. So as I said, like GA.io and Green Planet, yeah, those two, two projects that are my main focus right now. And right now, mm -hmm. in regards to GA.io, it's more of a, you know, it's a, it's a cash cow in a way that it's, um, Basically, because of the small, small items of action that has to be done, but Green Planet CEO, it will have to be a lot of information has to be produced in order to, for it to function. So uh, Green Planet CEO at this stage is more about reflecting and creating the whole process and the way it, it functions. But we haven't have to use quantum computing in that. Next, we have to use, we have to reverse engineer a solution which um, solves climate change by in incentivizing solutions that evolve us quicker. So that's what Green Planet AI is. And in order to evolve as quicker, it means that it's actually make sure that the resources that comes from the ground reach the desired destination at a faster pace using less energy and, and making sure that they, that they are included in the cycle. So creating a greater sort of awareness. And so in order to do that, you have to basically be, you have to come up with new solutions or essentially play with existing ones and reassemble them in a different way. And um, like right now with Green Planet is mainly the presentation I'm preparing basically. But that should be like, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe a two, I'll finish it. Um, I set myself a goal to, to finish it um, probably April, May. Um, maybe early, I'll be able to. My birthday is the 9th of March. So I'm thinking like, okay, I want to, my birthday, done my birthday, basically I got to that. Because um, it's kind of cool, like, you know, presentation. Because this, this presentation I was preparing for a very long time, more like that six, seven months right now, where I had to, you know, look at different, um, different systems of, for example, the hemp situation is like, it's weird because with the hemp, um, I, came, I came up, I, I bumped into hemp because I had to find a, an alternative to plastics that had an issue with glasses. So I was, I bumped into hemp, found a video of Henry Ford beating a car. And have you, have you seen this video? No. Um, 
there's a video in 1941, I think, 1940, I think 1941, and then Ford made a car that had plastic. I think it used other also um, biomass materials, but it was made out of hemp plastic, had hemp textiles that it was driving on hemp fuel. So it's pretty much like you know a carbon negative car because it was made out of carbon, it's 30% mm. lightweight, it's stronger than metal. They claimed it was 10 times stronger, but if you look at hemp plastic, it's about more than twice stronger than steel. So pretty much what he was doing, he was slamming it with a hammer and it wouldn't break. Um, I recommend you check out that video. This is 1941. Wow. So like that car was lighter, used you know biofuel, and this was 1941. So I was like asking myself why this is everywhere, and so I started like exploring the idea. Of, you know hemp being this kind of like you know biomass creating thing because you can use you can make biomass out of like you know bamboo you can make biomass out of other things is the idea of what captures carbon quicker and the mm-hmm. hemp industrial hemp does it faster so people have to be aware about it. i think from perspective if you want to solve climate change for real if we, if we don't want to just like speak about it, actually you know put you know do the step to actually achieving that state we have to really make sure that we grow things that actually capture carbon uh, quicker than any other uh, plants, uh, so we can we need to start growing that. Um, and so hemp, because hemp became. And I did the math basically, and so it's really 16 years. Like literally, I'm not exaggerating. I can 16 years to capture all the carbon dioxide. So you're saying that in 60 years you could capture all 16. the carbon? 16. Yeah, 16. So in because 16 what... years you can capture all the carbon dioxide or that is in the atmosphere right now. Um, through and and what would that like you said if you covered the entire Sahara with hemp? No, not the Sahara. So um, it's basically right now it's about four billion hectares that is used for um, for meat production. So cattle, pigs, and all this stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and so if you take, for example, just seventy five percent of that, uh, what, what percentage? Seventy five percent of seventy five. So, That's a huge percentage. But look, you'll make more money per hectare. The idea of creating incentivization model as well. The idea of transforming transforming the economics. So it's not just hemp. It's not about just the material. It's also about economics. It's about economics. It's also politics. It's also social things. It's about social proof and acceptance from people. And a lot of people, when they talk about industrial hemp, they, they think people should smoke. I mean, I don't really have anything about uh, against anything about THC or CBD. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good thing. I actually like to, like, you know, for recovery, CBD is really good to inject. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually other cannabinoids, like there's 120, more than 120. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want to try the THCV because people say that you can cure diabetes with it because essentially it lowers your blood sugar and mm-hmm. it lowers your appetite. Like, you know, because when you smoke THC, then you get hungry as well. Like, initially, mm-hmm. I, I had the funny story with, with THC is like, I bought this beer and it was disgusting. And mm-hmm. I put it in the fridge. I just tried it and just put it in the fridge. And then I start okay. smoking, took that beer, and that thing was the most tasty thing I ever tried. It's like that, that's how it <laughs> affects your tasting buds. Like literally, yeah. it changes the way you, you function. So I don't really want to try THCV. Um, maybe, yeah, I mean, but anyway, so there's this one you smoke, and there's one you can make, you know, plastics, textiles, you can make beddings, you know, you can make seeds out of it, you know, and for example, 100 grams of hemp seed has more meat, amino acids than meat would have, and have more mm-hmm. CB, more omega-3, omega-6. So we have to fish for omega-3s and omega-6, and there are already meat replacement with that. And when I say about 16 years, I literally just like, so you take, for example, uh, you take, for example, uh, every hectare that 
On average, with one cycle, would, would capture about 10 to 15 uh, tons of CO2. Um, and if you can make three cycles a year, like on top. So like uh, if it's like, like you know, highly, um, it's like if it's a very sunny area, for example, Sahara uh -huh. Desert, mm -hmm. then it'd be like a three cycles a year area. And so you would just start capture about 45 tons per, per year uh, of carbon dioxide. And uh, right now it's about 1.5 trillion tons, which has been emitted in the last 300 years. Uh, so if you, for example, take a billion hectares um, and multiply that by 45 tons, for example, the Sahara Desert, that would be, um, that would be about 40 billion, 45 billion tons. And currently the global economy emits 36 billion tons a year. So literally just like nullify them, like just by planting Sahara. If you multiply that, not just Sahara, but so for example, you take other areas, for example, uh, and you maybe average it like, for example, 1.5 and two, or two cycles a year, mm -hmm. then you probably capture about one, 150, uh, from 100 to 180 billion tons a year. And so you'd capture all that 1.5 trillion tons. And at the same time, you would essentially create biomass, which then you can convert to um, carbon nanomaterials. And then you essentially solve climate change. But then you have to make sure you have not just the supply side of things, but the demand side of things. And that's where the GE comes in because it creates the awareness as well with the, something you put on your face and stuff like that. So that's where it connects. And so for right now, focusing on GE, make sure the message is clear and then bring the environmental aspect into saying, okay, we can solve climate change with Green Blind TI and G8 is more about creating electronics and next generation solutions. Those are the carbon nanomaterials, essentially, you can create next generation processes, batteries, can, uh, like you know, supercapacitors, uh, sensors, screens, like speakers, like, like microphones, like pretty much you can make a laptop like probably like 100% made out of carbon. Like imagine like that. And uh, it'd be next generation, it'd be like literally outperforming existing solutions. Maybe some of the things would be like 90% of the carbon, but still we just basically, it will solidify the carbon in a solid state for, for like 10 years, 15 years. Ideally the idea would be you have to solidify it for longer than 10, 15, 20 years, maybe a hundred years. And uh, then there's another project, which is project number three, which I basically talk about space elevator stuff. But the space elevator stuff, like project four. This is the first time I'm here. Dude, you flood me with so many different ideas. I just get worried that you have too much on your plate. No, no but look, I, I'm focused. There's a conceptual thing. And you can I know, I understand it, this inter, this interconnected world that you had that you're trying to create of these different these different companies all kind of playing into each other like the inputs of one company um the inputs of one company come from the outputs of another another company it's just the cycle that it all like reinforces itself i think that's like what i've what i've kind of been hearing you saying which i yeah. think is which is a, a great idea i i mean i just say tell me about the space elevators i want to hear well i think if, let me just jump to the cycle thing because yeah space i think it was the idea like we have to People talk about B2B, B2B, B2C to the customer. Okay. People don't really talk about E2B, Earth to business. And the idea of bringing the awareness of the cycle is the idea that the electronic side of things like, you know, uh, B2C, for example. Yeah. And then you have E2B and the idea of E also environment, the idea of capturing CO2. And then, you know, capturing CO2, biomass, and then this whole supply chain. And the idea with, the, for example, with space elevator stuff, um, they did a lot of studies with regards to, you know, like creating the space elevator. And this is like, People, I have this reverse engineering in my mind and I see how it's possible to make it, but it requires a lot of energy essentially. Mm -hmm. um, it requires a new generation of technology to be developed um, and the fun making them. 
you know, also scaling them, lowering the cost, making sure that you, you know, scale it in a way that it's become, um, becomes feasible. So I think, you know, to capture carbon dioxide and then, you know, create a lot of biomass and then create a lot of carbon nanomaterial and, you know, to create a space elevator, it basically be a rod. Like there's other designs of it I have in my mind, but in a way that's fundamentally to be like, you know, a structure of like a cable that runs from space. And they did the, so for example, if they did a test on carbon nanotubes and the required force that is about 42 gigapascals uh, can, be with, can be done on carbon nanotubes. So actually graphene is one of the strongest materials, if not the strongest material found on earth. And then of course you can reshape it into a carbon nanotube. So essentially you take a sheet and then you form it into a tube and then you can, you can make it a super, um, you can make it as a super capacitor, um, not super, so you can make it a super, um, um, you can make it into a semiconductor and superconductor, superconductor essentially, right. if you just change the shape a little bit. But, the fundamental thing at specific radius, it's, it's basically withstands the forces that required for the space elevator. So essentially what you can do, is if you create the carbon nanotube structures and other structures as well, there's in my mind that it's possible to do, then you'll be able to create a carbon-based, fully carbon-based uh, space elevator that essentially will hold billions of tons of carbon within, within itself for hundreds of years. So in order to actually solve climate change for real, we're just like, you know, as I said, you have to evolve. You essentially to solve climate change, we have to plant a lot of, as I see, plant a lot of this planet, a lot of industrial hemp. Crazy idea, but in terms of carbon capturing, that's the quickest way. Essentially, the idea that we are not capturing energy that comes from the sun. We just you know it's just left left over, so we can we can capture the um, energy at greater efficiency instead of taking it from the you know an energy grid, and then you know create biomass and then solidify and then create the nanomaterials in, in great abundance and with electronics with, with the G8 is for example, to apply it in daily life and then to essentially minimize the cost for that for the space elevator. So that's how I see how, but then the space elevator thing, I'll be just you know, jumping it like maybe in a year or two or three when things are ready. But the thing mm -hmm. is like, you know, reverse engineering and announcing it um, just doesn't make sense because once, once you announce it, a lot of IPs will be just flat out and then things people will start painting it. So then you become, you know, you start paying, you know, for me, the patent system has to be, I think it's, patent system has to be more open source, I think, because the idea of human evolution requires a lot of information exchange. And when you have a legal system start trying to slow down and then a lot of agents trying to, you know, catch on those, uh, you know, ideas, because you can patent ideas and you can patent many things, then things start to slow down a little bit. And so, uh, but yeah, Green Planet yeah, presentation is the first thing, and then, you know, it's basically what you think. Um, and I just set myself targets like, you know, every year, this year I want to do the Green Planet TI, and next year I want to do this. And I have another tattoo here as well with the space elevator name. Nice. Do you know the name yet? I know the name yet, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you when it's done. It's a cool name. It's a cool name. Uh, Fire. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's many things. It's, it's not just space elevator, but it's really cool. I mean, okay. I was, I was high on the way I saw it actually was like six years ago. Um, it's a very, very weird story in my life where I was like, uh, first time in my life I tried alkaline water properly. Okay. Uh, and then um, I was doing a lot of holotropic breathing. I was trying to buy new beats and I had this weird sensation in my forehead where like someone would touch my head. Like uh -huh. six years ago, it started like I was like, you know, what is passing when people like, you know, go like for like 10, 20 days, like a month. Just like meditate, don't speak to anyone, like, you know. Yeah, one of those retreats. 
yeah, so I pretty much did a similar thing without really knowing about it. It's like, you know, I just went away, wanted, wanted to, to find out what I want to do in life. Uh-huh. So I was like thinking and reflecting a lot. And I tried well, a spiritual Nuki. journey. Andrew, Andrew went on a spiritual journey six years ago. <laughs> kind of, yeah. So um, while I was doing that, I was also like experimenting with new beats. And I had this, um, and I was listening to new beats and I was having this weird sensation for like after like two or three weeks that like, you know, like tapping inside my forehead, like literally like someone was like massaging it, like or touching it. Hmm. and um and then like um and then i tried with with the alkaline water and this sensation was like you know great so i started feeling like someone was literally touching my head and i was meditating and at one moment it's like you know i had the like outer body experience like i literally saw astral projections and i saw like i literally saw in my mind like a space elevator was just being built and i was like hmm. it was really awesome i was literally seeing like a thing and I was so emotional, it was more real than I actually was in the room. And so I was like, it just started this process of me exploring different processes in order to make it. And for example, the way I see it, to solve, to make it actually, I have to solve climate change. It's kind of weird. I have to solve one problem, which is like a completely different problem in order to make a space elevator, which I want to make. But then it's like, it's, it's all interconnected because it's not just engineering problem, it's also social, political, and many other things. Because um, it's like, man, it's mainly about, you know, transportation because, you know, Kardashian scale again. We're moving again, again on the Kardashian scale where we explore the space, we explore the universe, we can transport things at the triple cost. Uh, or, you know, yeah, I think that's kind of thing. But space later, I really recommend you to check out. Have you seen this uh, series called Foundation? Foundation. I'm not sure. No. I don't think so. Uh, it's it's a really good series. Uh, I mean, uh, first episode they have a visual of a space elevator. The, it's, uh, it's done by Apple. I really recommend it to check out. It's, uh, mm-hmm. It was done on the Azimov book, really good writer. Um, I was kind of, the book was actually a bit different for me was than the, the series when I was writing. When I was reading it, I was like, I was really got excited. I'm like, you know, when they, I rarely read like a sci-fi things like in, in one like in a one go, I was really excited. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the foundation, really good series. I recommend you check out. Maybe read the book Inter- first. And- and in the in this uh, journey of yours, in the spiritual journey of where you saw the space elevator, psychedelics involved in that? No, it was alkaline water. That's that's the thing. I tried alkaline water, so uh, it was weird because I tried an extreme version of alkaline water. So because I was doing like you know this dieting kind of thing, I was like you know not just not bulking, but I was like trying. I was exercising and um, trying experimenting with, with things. I was you know doing what the books told me. So I was taking about 150 grams of amino acid, like, you know, eating a lot of eggs, you know, uh, carbohydrates, etc. Mm-hmm. But I, I kept feeling bloated, like, and my, my weight would just jump about, like, in pounds, probably, like, 15 pounds up and down within, like, one month. It would just jump probably about mm. le- up and down twice, probably. Um, and then I got bloated, uh, and then I felt really sick, and I was like, okay, maybe I should try just being, try, just try vegetables. Mm-hmm. And um, I was looking into the, you know, the mineral ingredients and I read somewhere that it's like vegetables are alkaline. And a friend of mine, she had this ionizer. Uh, and apparently the, the alkaline water is used to treat cancer uh, in a way that, you know, cancer doesn't spread in the alkaline environment. And so um, she brought, I asked like, okay, make me a lot of, like, you know, a lot of alkaline water, high concentrated, high concentrated alkaline water. So she gave me six liters of 10.5. As I know, when you just like, you know, if you've been diagnosed with cancer and you basically have to um, have to like work against it and you know, fight it, 
Mm -hmm. uh, some people prescribe like 8.5 pH, just half a liter a day. And uh, I drank four liters of 10.5. And mm. the log is basically it's exponential curve. So it's basically 8.5 is like 10 times less, uh, less concentrated in terms of the ionization than the 9.5. So essentially I drank, I think like 800 times the dose of what people would just prescribe you in one session. So it was pretty much a psychedelic experience because I did LSD, I did, I did mushrooms, I did, I did psilocybin. And, and was it similar it was, to those experiences? It was, it was as intense. It was wow. literally as intense. And so I was like, when I drink it, I was like, and I think I, like, I don't recommend anyone doing it because I think I just did it by accident. Mm -hmm. But I just like, I just gave my brain so much energy in one session that um, I just like, you know, took myself out of experience of like, you know, it's like gave my, it just gave a lot of energy to my brain. So my brain just like, you know, start firing from the left and right. And again, that's, I start, I felt a lot of this, you know, like weird sensation in my head. Interesting. And, you know, it's kind of, it's not, that's saying people, a lot of people call it like, you know, religious people, like when people talk in Christianity, they say it's like a God of hand, they say like, you know, it's the, the God is basically massaging your hand or whatever. Uh, in Buddhism, they say it's like a third eye is opening. And for me, I was like, okay, I just was curious what, why it was that. So I started after, after I had this experience, I, I experimented with lemon juice, meditation, with yoga, with also uh, sauna. I did what Ronda, Ronda Patrick did, the three-day thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt the same feelings around there. Like in the Ronda Patrick, it actually was on top of the head, more was like on top. So more of like a pituitary gland, like the pineal gland. And for me, it was like, okay, so it's just like the brain is responding to the environment. And I'm just saying either thank you or not this because like you know the body brain communication is saying okay you're doing the right thing you're doing it for the you know in a way that i'm happy or not happy so i'm preserved and not disrupting and alkaline and acidity is, is also became very important which people don't really talk about like literally alkalinity and acidity is very important aspects where i think in diet in lifestyle once your body becomes acidic you essentially get stressed like if you look about cortisol adrenaline it's acidic substance if you look about um if you look for example melatonin and serotonin the alkaline and so um as i know basically um but the idea like it's one of those things where when we create a lot of uh cortisol essentially it's like a nature's way as i think is to disassemble the body so once you become stressed don't suffer like we'll just disassemble so like that's the thing is like the body in nature itself says okay we disassemble it and so as we are part of the nature therefore it just uh, preserving you know the way things should be and i think the idea of being genuinely happy and going towards destination but in the state of flow i mean that's kind of cool but yeah lsd i did once that was a weird experience um what was that like whew. uh all my friends that have done them they try to try to tell me they start out by saying it's it's uh you're un unable to put them in put it in language you understand like in this state you kind of have to it's only it's in you got to be there experience I, I think i can put it in language i can understand is it, the thing is the so i was doing i had this weird state um i did only once the lsd thing um and i told myself if i'll do it again i want to do it in a way that uh in a more controlled environment mm -hmm. uh, so when i was doing it i was doing it with the with my ex and uh, we were having you know, candles around us. Mm. And I was, when I started, when I took this, when I took it, 
I laid on the floor five, 10 minutes straight after it because I knew it would hit me straight up and would just pass out. So I laid down on the floor and I just passed out. And like the thing that I saw and I felt was like, like I, there was two atoms and a big bang just happened, like two, collision of two atoms and like an explosion. Hmm. And then I kind of lived, the main, lived many lives. And uh, I think like for like first, like maybe five, six billions of years, like seven years of billions of years, like it just passed in a few, like, like 15, 20 minutes. And then I woke up and I saw a lot of candles. I, I really became like, you know, um, not stressed, but I was like weirded out because, you know, you can, yeah. just, like, you, you can just like knock one over and the, the building would burn out. Uh-huh. And so I was like, I woke up and I was like, oh shit. And I, saw, and I looked around myself and we were just like both lying on the floor. And then like five minutes later, I passed out. And then I was a dinosaur. I literally, I was like, you know, the flying pterodactyl. I was literally flying around and it was just like weird. I was like, and I was like, okay, so I'm pterodactyl. So, I'm, so I lived the life of a dinosaur. Like, <laughs> and I felt this feeling and then I woke up and I'm like, okay. And then I look at the watch and like at the, at the phone and like, okay, another five minutes passed. So, so the life you live feels like you literally live like in 20 years. Like mm -hmm. literally it feels like, it's not like you lived that long, but inside your mind, you're, you kind of feel that you live that lifespan. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then you wake up out of this feeling and then you look at your, your phone and you're like, okay, it's five, another five minutes has passed. And so I had another few lives, like I was in the military, <laughs> I was like, I was uh -huh. like, in, kind of, I think I was in today's time. Uh, and then I woke up and I was like in space, like I was like kind of like a space creature. Um, huh. So, was, and then like, you know, that's, and then I kind of like, the trip went down, it was less hallucinogenic, but more like an emotional kind of state. And it's mm -hmm. kind of cool. I mean, like this, the LSD thing, I think uh, I've, I haven't tried DMT. Uh, mm -hmm. I really want to try DMT because, but I think the brain releases DMT. It's kind of, I think the body also releases LSD and psilocybin. It's just, it's, a, it's in smaller quantity than we just exaggerously take. So yeah, LSD was like, like, I don't know. I think, I don't know if LSD is less addictive than coffee. I mean, I know that psilocybin is, I think, less addictive than coffee. Oh, cigarette. way less addictive. Yeah, I think it's just like, but less people consider it as a drug. I think there are a lot of studies right now that it cures depression and stuff like that. For me, it's like, I think psilocybin is like, it's a mind expanding mechanism. It really mm -hmm. expands your mind. Yeah, so it connects areas of the brain that don't normally talk together. Yeah, and it's also like it creates neurogenesis. And for me, actually, I think I just made a quick short video. I really wanted to do an experiment with Parkinson's, uh, you know, people who, mm -hmm. who have Parkinson's to actually maybe give them psilocybin, like, you know, probably in Oregon where it's legal, mm -hmm. or like, you know, in, in um, yeah, doing medical condition, mm -hmm. Amsterdam. But Amsterdam is mainly, it's not psilocybin that's legal, it's, uh, it's truffles. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not really psilocybin, but you can still probably do it and see how brain is changing. Maybe they'll have less, you know, the the less of the episodes throughout the day. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of curious because of the neurogenesis aspect of it, because the idea that Alzheimer's and, and uh, Parkinson's is, is directly related towards the quantity of neurons, as I, as I know. And I'm not like an you know, expert in that much in medical field, but I think that might be a potential, uh, you know, uh, not a cure, but at least something that might lower the amount of symptoms that people get. And um, yeah, I mean, the psilocybin people did an experiment uh, in John Hopkins, I think. They had, one girl had like a 10 years of depression and they gave her psilocybin and then she, after that she did not have depression. Sometimes and off of like, a single dose, a, yeah, single, yeah. a single session of psilocybin, it, it just, the effects are unbelievable. 
but I still, I see the, these things like, I, I want to make this connection between um, like psychedelics kind of being, I mean, maybe they're not. Cause I mean, when I, when you, when I think about it, I think of uh, like when you take psychedelics, like you have a, a chemical change in the balance in your brain and then your the way you interpret the sensory, the information that you get from the world is processed in a different way. So it's like, you're still looking at the same world, but it's just, it's a different angle on it. And so it's like, but so then it's that it's back to that question of like, is truth really useful? It's like, when I come back from, if you came back from uh, one of these psychi- psychedelic experiences, I mean, I, I guess it is shown that it has like really great effects for people. I just, for me and like what I'm trying to do, if I'm just trying to learn, I don't know. I just have an interesting relationship on it. I don't know if it's really like the way I go, uh, I want to go about it. Cause I think like maybe what if uh, I really like, really like the way the world looks or like the way you think about the world is like way more interesting in that, in that space. I just don't want to, I don't want to become too attached with that version of reality. I want to keep the, like the liquidness of, as you would say, of just being able to see things from as many angles as possible, which I think you would get from that. And I, I would definitely say I'm more of a proponent then than anyone saying anything against it. But it also, it also connects with the unconscious, the, the dreams, what you were talking about before about sleeping. I wanted to say like, it's just so bizarre that you can wake up that, uh, who, who did you say was it? It was, uh, Newton or, uh, some, some inventor that would think about things, think have questions before they went to bed. I think it was, uh, Edison, I think it was. Edison. So Edison. Yeah. So think about this process. He's asking himself questions before he, he goes to bed that he doesn't go, does that he doesn't know the answer to. Then he falls, he sleeps for eight hours or whatever it is. And he wakes up with an answer what is going on there you're unconscious what like you you're not like you know if you said if someone said something to you you're not going to respond it's like what is going on in there how can how can while you're while you're not actively coming up with ideas it's like how do how do they come up i just it makes me question ideas dreams like the unconscious that area of focus is like my one of my favorite things to think about because it's just so unknown to me i just don't understand it at all would make which makes it so so interesting well i think i can partly answer because i can't answer the whole thing but for what i understand is like it's the same process as when you think about dmt uh, as i know uh dmt is created when you're sleeping basically but not great in that same quantity that we that people take you know through through inhaling but probably like 10 times or like 20 times less in, in terms of quantity and so as I understand, the dreams are hallucinations, essentially. And the dreams, when we see them, they essentially what happens is DMT creates this ability to rewire the brain. And once you have a question, uh, and the Edison way, I think, is was more like he was asking the thing uh, or like asking for an idea to come up. There's also one very famous inventor who does this thing. He goes underwater. He basically forces himself not to breathe until he comes out of the comes up with an idea as so he has like you know notepad and the thing is the dmt is also released when you um when you're about to die so it's kind of like a last resource mechanism so your brain fires up and then you find like a way to you know to escape a danger or like you know when you don't have enough oxygen so you find a way out of the burning forest or you're underwater or you see something like uh something that might create a lot of stress like you know mm-hmm. like if if a squirrel sees a wolf for example or a fox it would have this some DMT released and then it would feel excited after it. But mm-hmm. I think in dream state, what happens is you, you bring the wires itself. So you have a lot of signals coming in. 
And once you, those signals comes out, then you might have an answer just pop out to you because you, you're, you're laser focused on the question and then your brain essentially just like, you know, the energy was sent there. And the energy, what I mean by that is just like a, a nutrients and all the electrical impulses just sent around this idea. This is what we are essentially working at. We are containers of ideas which reshape those ideas to make them better or like more useful to society. And I think uh, this idea of once you think of perspective, okay, we contain our idea and when we have the subjective objective viewpoints and then we refine them. Uh, once we have those like chemical processes that, um, that happen inside ourselves, which make our brain like, you know, um, like not talk to itself, but like, you know, from different perspective, from different modes or from different mm -hmm. areas, once the information passes through, you might come up with a solution. The statistics have happened. So like it, you just increase the likelihood of finding out a solution because your brain just, you know, worked on this idea because it was more in a relaxed state. For me, meditation is the same thing. When I meditate, I just like, you know, allow my brain to receive more energy and then I just come up with solutions. And for me, it's also exercise because I think with exercise, just nutrients come throughout the body. So essentially, you, and I, think that, I like that you have vibration plate because it's just like your body, uh, you know, but you have to know how to use them. That's the thing. They, there isn't a proper body of knowledge, I think, that's you can say, okay, how you apply them to like, you know, truly, truly use them. The vibration plate actually was cool because it was invented by, um, uh, it was, it was invented for, for uh, astronauts who basically came from space because, you know, the bone density would decrease. So they have to, you know, go through um, the process of, you know, being, being able to work properly because some mm -hmm. of them, you know, they, they once, once they return, they, they've been taken by wheelchair. And so vibration plate would just activate a lot of the muscles. Anyway, back to the sleep point, I think the idea of asking a question, you know what would be cool? I would want to try this and it's kind of weird. I had this idea like you can two, come down. Three weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, is that, you know, the DMT inhaling thing, like mm -hmm. doing the, the, the Demexin cycle with the DMT inhaling. So like sleeping four times a day, but every time you go to bed, just like, just inhale a lot of DMT. So you pass out for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, this might be an extreme idea, but probably possible to do. I mean, like, you know, in legal environment where it's legal, so you don't get in jail. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, sleeping, sleeping right out of school. I mean, cold, hot environment. Everything is, into, everything is related. I think that's the thing is like, once you create habits that operate, you know, set to, to make sure that you create an ideal state within you to operate and, uh, you know, to tackle the challenges um, and you use a cold, hot environment just to push the boundary. I know also, I think Andrew, Andrew Huberman himself said, when you go into cold environment, your dopamine level increases. Once your dopamine level increases, you want more. Like it just, uh, so it's like using that thing to stimulate, I think, I read it somewhere that Elon Musk has, for example, when he goes, when he wakes up, he, he takes a cold shower. Maybe that's the thing. I think Elon Musk is like, you know, probably one of the best neurohackers that are out there. I think from mm -hmm. perspective of neurohacking and, you know, nootropics, as mentioned, LSD is probably the best nootropic out there. Um, but microdosing it, or like psilocybin, for example. But then how do you apply it? And, and a lot of people have a lot of negative stigma around it. And that's the, how would you, um, how you communicate around those ideas, like how mm -hmm. to make sure that you know the government apply. For example, right now they're take, taking a lot of studies regarding medical field. But how would you essentially, um, like you know, take it so 
people know how to take it like you know what i mean yeah how to incorporate it in that's what i was that's exactly where like where i wanted to go off that like that yeah. that state i think of like so like one of the reasons like one way I describe this podcast, I feel like to myself even is like, all right, you have this model of the world. You have like an understanding of things. Say it was like, think of that as like, th- like a web or like infrastructure or something like that. And like when you learn something and it like makes sense to you. So it's like understanding, then you're like adding another branch on, you're like reinforcing the structure in which you view and navigate the world. So like, um, so it's like all those different perspectives can kind of add to it. And I don't know where the sleeping thing, but I think it's, it is all interconnected kind of through your ability to understand the world that is created by this, this model you have. So it's like all these different pieces you learn, you got to, I think about, a, I think about them as they're not like isolated packets of information. They're like branches off this like body, body of information that I already have that. And then like the, have you ever heard Jordan Peterson talk about, talk about alchemy? He, he has this great, I like screen recorded it. He said like, okay, so the dream of alchemy was if we investigate material reality with enough sophistication and attention, then the goal, the dream was to be able to create the philosopher's stone, the stone that uh, does everything turn, turn uh, iron to gold it solves all the world's problems. And so science was born out of that dream. This dream of science is uh, if we investigate material reality with enough attention and sophistication, then we're going to be able to, I guess, basic in like metaphorical terms, create like mini philosopher's stones for different problems. And so I, I just think that's unbelievable. And so I think kind of the goal of this podcast is, I don't know if I really want to say material reality, because I don't know if reality is completely material, maybe, not sure. That, that, that one I'll, I'll leave, leave for a later date. Um, but the, the thing is, if I investigate material uh, reality with enough attention and sophistication, then I'll, ha- then I'll be able to create this model of the world, which is like really useful and and accurate at the same time so i'll be able to one be like be a more useful individual live a better like a subjectively better more meaningful life and actually have like a like a better net positive out output on the world and i think all those things interconnect yeah yeah we can agree with you the idea of making iron into gold i think it's possible it's like well it's fusion reaction it's like, you know, when stars are being created. Yeah, that's exactly what, that's actually how elements are made inside stars. Lighter elements yeah. combine and form heavier elements. Yeah, so, I mean, you can create like a fusion reaction and reaction essentially, right now they're doing the you know, hydrogen fusion um, and they're doing this like, you know, tomahawk uh, kind of style uh, fusion reactors. Uh, I think they're, they've reached net uh, positive now, I think, um, which is kind of cool, I think. Uh, but the idea that, um, another reason to space for a space later um, is to you know mine moon for example and then bring the and bring the resources into the planet. Um, that's that's the one. But yeah, because uh, I think the amount of helium three on the moon is equivalent uh, with the current market prices. Uh, like it's it's so expensive that like if the amount of helium three that can make every person on the planet Earth a billionaire right now. If you think mm-hmm. if you bring all that helium three yeah. to Earth, so I always like wonder about that. 
um, it was like mining asteroids. Let's say there's thirty trillion dollars worth of materials on an asteroid, and you go and mine mm-hmm. and bring it back. Wouldn't that wouldn't that like infl- inflow of new material just sink the price of those things? Because now they're so abundant, and wouldn't wouldn't you have to? Fa- I don't know if the, the, they factor that into the cost of it, but it's interesting. Think about it. like asteroid mining's mm-hmm. probably going to be real. Well, it's a supply and demand kind of issue. If you have more demand, for example, if you have more, if you have more people living on the planet Earth, and this amount of uh, like you know, material that came into the planet, uh, like it just you know, uh, satisfied the the amount of people that you know added into the Earth, but not the mm-hmm. existing ones, I think the price would pretty much the same. But it's, it's the idea like that's we we have constantly go on this chase on this journey. I think like you know constantly exploring the idea of the subjective objective thing is like one. I think Jeremy Peterson was saying to himself. The, the goal of an artist is to explore the, the adventure territory uh, mm-hmm. within outside themselves and within themselves mm-hmm. you know to find solutions and the writers artists and all that stuff and i think the next generation ai if you train the ai to explore the adventure territory to to see new solution that might be useful objectively not just for the humans but for this for the nature mm-hmm. uh, in order to make sure more life essentially to survive in collaboration with each other and the idea of like you know refining your value system and integrating your value system into society in a way that you can you know, coexist where both like you know organisms, society and you will essentially develop. Um, but then society is like, how do you make sure that like you know it's not played out? But actually, you know, when it creates conflict, can you withstand that conflict? Can you not be egotistical, mm-hmm. but at the same time, can you be like you know outsider who actually can shape the argument? So. I think look, watching Jordan Peterson uh, videos is really cool because he, he actually like a, is a role model on how to make sure that you structure your arguments uh, clearly. I think that's like one of the very important things. I think like uh, I think more people should watch his arguments. I think the value system that people portray on him, I, th- I don't really agree with him. I don't think he's misogynist or like. He's I think to, that's like, from people only reading what other people have written about him. Like. Uh, uh, my ex-girlfriend was telling me in her college class everyone the professor was like hating on him and I was just she didn't give any like concrete examples but I'm just like if you listen to an hour-long podcast of him talking like it would be so hard to like really say that he's an awful person or something like that because it's just he's literally just sharing ideas it's not like he's like enforcing anything it's like I mean, just like I've learned literally so much from that guy. Um, I always think of like questions that I would ask him and I never know like which one I would go with or I'd probably freeze up in the moment. But the one of the things he taught me was, all right, I have to go in in like five, like eight minutes. Um, I have a meeting at five for my venture capital club. That's what I'm, what I'm excited about. But he, he's taught me that um, you, you see through a lens uh, and and the lens is is what you value. So it's really important to really like get get right what's important to you because you you you're you're constantly moving somewhere, right? And so if you're moving somewhere, that implies like a destination. And so what's the destination? He talks about it like that he that's what he calls like the aim. And then he talks about like well what what should the aim be? And the aim should be like the most noble thing: being being a great person, having a net positive effect on the world, creating more community. Uh, trying to sustain the earth whatever your your top value is it's like your actions you're you're actually moving towards that thing just because you set it up that way so it's like you really have to think about like 
it's it's like what you were talking about on the weekends like that that work is so important the reflective aspect of it because it sets it sets your values it aligns you it allows you to clear space and adjust and then when you go out in into the workday and you're working on those things you're you're moving towards that which you aimed at over the weekend i feel like yeah i agree with you i think it's also the idea like because um, i do this like i don't call it a prayer it's kind of like you know it's a reset value mechanism and one of the things that i've started to say to myself like you know like to reshape my value system is that mm-hmm. um it's not just action it's about redirecting the flow of wealth and money towards most innovative solutions because that's actually what nature wants us to do and thinking like that's what venture capitalists uh mm-hmm. are trying to do but you know sometimes it's more based upon a hype rather than actually you know even innovative solution and i think it's more based it's on what hype hype yeah so for example uh-huh. I don't know, like uh, well, like you know, transaction exchange inflation of the actual value of specific items. Yeah. Uh huh. But uh, in many cases, I think the techno- technological advancement um, with regards to like you know um, decision making, it's also it's I think it comes from the idea of setting up your day like a perfect day, and saying okay, this is twenty or four hour cycle. How do you make sure that you can become you? Can enjoy the most in that day and how it can be more productive in that day mm-hmm. and every day just like you find it make it the best day of your life mm-hmm. that's every day i think that's kind of a cool thing i think that venture- is, i think that is a cool thing yeah 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 that's what you should venture- be trying say yeah. it <laughs> with regards to venture capital club uh, yeah um what is like you join the venture capital as an investor or you're like uh or you're like uh brainstorming what am what what are like my intentions with it? Yeah, yeah. I have no I have no idea. Um, I like I like it I like it. Be I think it's interesting exactly for the reason you said because it's in my mind it's the tool it's a tool uh in which like real innovation happens. Um, like so like it funds the riskier product uh, like projects, but the risky product projects are gonna be the ones that have like the most innovative new like solutions. So I just think yeah. it's a great. A, a great mechanism of of reallocating capital towards um, creating a better world, and it's like a pretty efficient way to do that. And it and it benefits uh, all like the investment banks that take the companies public, and it uh, benefits all the investors. Um, and hopefully, if they're if they're really good companies, then it'll have a positive out outcome on the world and i think it's like a a very much like a everything i've talked to it's a lot about uh understanding the credibility of the person the pedigree of the team Uh, would you do you really trust this person is this a person that can bind people together towards a common goal does this person like genuinely have what it takes to like take uh, make this company successful do they have the knowledge do they have like the right team and then it's also an understanding of is this the right time for this product um is it in the right industry because one thing you wouldn't think of is uh, it's like a lot a lot of it a lot of venture capital is investing in in the industry it's like you're not going to invest in whatever like uh like blimps right now like you're going to do a big blimp project because even if the team's great and the and the product's great it's just not it's not there. The industry isn't taking off. So that's like, I just, I like it for a ton of different reasons. I think it's really beneficial for everyone. And it seems like something I could, I could actually do. And it would be more, way more interesting than a lot of other pathways, like with investing, because you interact with way more people. And you're also like on the cutting edge of that, uh, of the new, of the unexplored territory. Cause it's like all these people coming at you with different ideas, different inventions. And I just love the whole idea of it. 
Yeah, it's actually how I started as well. It's just like thing is like the way I started, um, I was doing the small kind of investment when I was much, yeah, I think like my early 20s. And then uh, I went to the conference and the first one was like Web Summit uh, in, uh, in Ireland. And uh, I was basically like just meeting people, talking on their ideas and seeing how, uh, how, how they would come up with different solutions. And it became this mechanism of saying, okay, the cash, the money comes in, the different rounds, the company scales. And then just like, you know, visualize this process. And the ideas, I think, as I mentioned, like you're trying to direct the money towards more simple solutions, but then okay, you have to judge the team. You have to, to essentially understand the timing, the technologies, and saying from the scientific- If the market's view, there. Yeah, if the market. I think the idea of a funnel is understanding the, 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 the business funnels. For me, when I kind of like look into the business, and for example, with G8, um, is the idea like we created the funnel, the idea like we tested out the funnel to see the conversion rate, to actually understand mm -hmm. if the actual market, if market wants it, if we can communicate the idea uh, well. And the thing like, of course, you refine it with A-B tests, et cetera. But essentially making sure that the sales is right, the marketing is right, then you refine the operation to speed up the cycle so you can deliver more, more goods within a short period of time. And also create essentially a, a structured chaos, as you mentioned, like the idea of zone mm -hmm. and flow, where you can uh, create different ideas and then you can criticize what this being creative critic across the whole, the company and being able to see the whole company as like you know as from the bird's eye point of view where you can jump into this like you know into the bottleneck of the company and being able to like as to, to either advise to do something um not just as an investor but like as a consultant but that's what mostly what consultants do they see the bottlenecks and then they you know they just um make sure that those bottlenecks are eliminated so the whole company like can output greater uh like you know output greater amount of products services um but then the financial kind of thing is more about money coming in money coming out in some cases more like bottleneck problem where it's like you know fixing a specific thing and then the company just starts to scale ex extremely or maybe focusing money towards just purely scaling and advertising stuff like that and the company just scales i think it's also the idea of like in you know, the first move advantage and then um in silicon valley kind of thing is when people say about uh, when it takes all kind of strategy when you know like for example uber took over the market means for example in america Mm -hmm. uh, then Lyft came kind of, but I think I don't know the, the market share right now in Lyft and Uber, but mm -hmm. the idea that uh, because Uber had a lot of venture funding for it, they just like, just, we, did, we just kept on capturing market and had the budget for advertising and to make sure they're just on board drivers and customers into their platform. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like what I think is like, you can work not an idea of that not profit without profit, but you grow, you mainly inject the, like, the profits back into the business, making sure that it scales. And then you create a system and then you, I don't want to say upsell, but you add other things on top of the existing solution to actually make the, the value greater. And I think the idea of having this funnel is very important. Anyway, I think I'm like, what about the time? Do we have a time? We're good. You got it. Closing thoughts? Closing thoughts? Man, I mean, like, should do it again soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fire. Awesome. Yeah. Um, sweet. Well, we'll reach out again. Thank you so much for doing yeah. this as always. Good yeah, thing you did. Thank you. Okay. Send me the link. I'll put it on my, on my, uh, uh, video as well. Okay, my, sweet. I don't know how, should I send it to you over email or cause it's going to be a two hour long file. I, are you recording the file? Um, just probably upload the link on the on Dropbox or something like that. Google. Okay. Drive. I'll try to do that. All right, cool. See you, man. Okay. Bye.